0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. How are we all? We're going well? Very good. Who likes this new aisle down the middle? I've never seen that before. When did that arrive? It's kind of like this parting of the Red Sea or something. It's, uh, that's very cool. I expect lots of people to be walking down the front this morning as uh, responding to the message now that you've got a nice uh, aisle to walk down. Who, uh, who's excited about what God's doing? Anyway, there's a couple of people excited about what God's doing. I, I, this, these are weird times we're living in, but I'm really excited about what God is doing uh, in His church uh, it's exciting just to be here with no masks on and to see people back in the room. That's awesome. But there's something deeper going on uh, in the church. I, I believe this is a time that uh, God is awakening his church. God is calling us, you know, to uh, to a place of of new joy in praise, new surrender in worship and a deeper intimacy in prayer. And I, I really want to encourage you, as Sam already has, to uh, to to... Jump into this 21 days of prayer. If you haven't sort of you know even given it a thought in the last two weeks, that's fine. There's some exciting things happening in these next seven days. Tonight is an exciting night for this Redlands campus. First 5 p.m. service, and it's going to be quite small. But do not despise the day of small beginnings, because I know uh, that in years to come at 5pm on a Sunday night, this is going to be full of young people. This is going to be full of young adults that discover Jesus. Who knows that the young people in Redlands need the gospel? Come on, who knows that? Who knows that there's a generation that that is growing up um, without Jesus? And I just know there's going to be young people just come to know Jesus uh, in this place. Be be praying. If you can't be here tonight, is there anything decent on telly at 5 o'clock on a Sunday? I wouldn't have a clue. I've been in church every Sunday night for the last 29 years. But uh, I doubt there's anything decent on telly because there is no other night. So uh, just get, get here, get here tonight and be part of what God's going to begin. Also encourage you next Sunday night. I don't always encourage people to come back to church Sunday night, but just the next two weeks I am. Just tonight... I get here and support you know, what God's going to begin in our young people. And next Sunday night is going to be an important night. We're going to come together, uh, five campuses across our city, just praying for our city, believing for revival in our city. Next Sunday, 6 p.m., uh, at our McKenzie campuses, all of our normal services at night will be, uh, will be called off and we'll all come together as one. We're just going to pray. We're going to believe for a mighty move of God uh, right across our city. There is a, there is a blessing that's poured out from heaven when his church comes together in unity. Do you believe that? All right, let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you're here with us right now. Thank you that you're going to be here uh, tonight as uh, our first ever Gateway Redlands 5 p.m. service meets. God, I uh, thank you that you, you promise to be with us when we gather in your name, as we gather to worship you, as we gather to, uh, to lift up your name and to open your word. God, you're here. And God, I believe you're here right now. And God, we just say welcome Holy Spirit. Come, come and move amongst us. Come and draw us closer to your heart, God. Come and lift up Jesus in our minds. Come, come and help us to, to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength. And God, would you... Bring your word alive to us today. It might be living and active. It might challenge and provoke and encourage. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a a series at the moment, uh, it's got a couple of weeks to go, uh, simply called Who We Are. We're looking at uh, our five core values uh, as a church and this morning I want to preach about one of our values from four of Jesus' parables. But don't worry, I'm going to do the first three Really, really quickly. Alright, I'm gonna spend the most of the time uh, in that fourth parable. But I'm gonna to talk today about the value of ones. Who remembers having pocketfuls of these growing up? One cent pieces, just put your hand up. That's all the old people in the room. Just put their hand up. You know, back in the olden days, used to go into McDonald's and you'd hand over a two-dollar note. Uh, a Big Mac would cost $1.99, and you got one of these. And you'd go next door and uh, you'd buy a big black CD for nineteen ninety nine. You'd hand over your twenty bucks, and uh, you'd get uh, one of these. But then, in nineteen ninety one, the Australian government decided that these didn't have enough value; they weren't worth the effort, and so we stopped making them. Who, who remembers the animal on the back of the one cent piece? What was it? Not a platypus, not an echidna. Everyone, everyone thinks it's an echidna. That was the two. It was a type of possum. It was a feather glider and uh, we had pocketfuls of these because everything cost something and 99 cents but then in 1991 the Australian government said these don't have enough value and so we stopped making them, we stopped expecting them you still deserve one of these when you hand over 20 bucks for something that's worth 19.99. you deserve one of these but they don't have enough value and so you don't care that no one gives it to you you see The value of something determines the amount of effort we'll go to to get it. A simple illustration, some of you will have seen this before, but uh, it just proves this point. See, when the value of something rises, the effort we'll go to actually rises as well. I want you to imagine tomorrow morning you're driving the kids to school, peak hour traffic or you get trying to, trying to get to work uh, on time, you're screaming down Redland Bay Road, uh, heading into the city or heading into school and you see some money on the side of the road and it's yours to pick up but to pick it up you've got to go to some effort, you've got to pull your car over on the side of the road, you've got to undo your seatbelt, pull your park brake on, open your door, jump out, run back 100 metres, pick it up off the road while everyone's screaming abuse at you and honking their horns, then you've got to run back into your car, get back in your seat, seat seatbelt back on, and uh, take your handbrake off, merge out into traffic while everyone abuses you again. You've got to go to a fair bit of effort, all right, to pick up that money that's on the side of the road. Who's doing that for a five cent piece? Okay, no one's going to bother. It's too much effort for five cents. Ten cents? Who's doing that for 10 cents, anybody? i got, I got a mate, was, I was following him, helping him move one time, he's driving an eight-ton truck and uh, stops in the middle of the road. I'm about to get out and see what the problem is and then he just takes off again. Uh, I get to, to where he's moving, I said, mate, what'd you stop, hold up all the traffic for in the middle of the road? He said, I saw 10 cents. I was like, That's not normal. <laughs> My mate is the tightest man in all of Australia. Not normal. Who's going to go to all that effort? You're going to get out of your car for 20 cents? Anybody? No? What about a dollar? Who's going to do it for Yeah, so kids down the front thinking, you know, like, how, how many soft serves can you get for a dollar at Macca's? Get one or two? One. Only one. One used to be 30 cents back in the day. But anyway, you go to that effort. Who's going to that effort for $2. Okay, a couple of people thinking, "Yeah, I can get a uh, cheap cheeseburger for two dollars." Who needs something in paper? You know, who's if they who's seeing five? dollars I don't have a five. Who's seeing ten? And they go, "Yep." Nicole's thinking, oh, "I can go and get two coffees for ten bucks." Ben doesn't give me any pocket money, and uh, I'll take the ten. Who's not bothering until they see a twenty? Okay, it's a couple of people. Very good. Who needs a 50 before they'll go to all of that effort? (laughs) Who's hanging out for a hunch? (laughs) Okay, all of you with your hands up right now, come and share your investment strategies with me because you've got too much money. (laughs) And I hope you're tithing. But that's not what the message is about today. The point is this. When the value of something rises so does the effort that we will go to to get that thing. That's why the one-cent piece is no longer in existence. Ones don't have enough value. We're not willing to go to that effort. Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables. They all tell exactly the same thing. There's one lost sheep, there's one lost coin, and there's one lost son. And in that parable, Jesus says every single one that is lost. And you've got to remember, he tells the story because he's getting in trouble for eating with sinners and tax collectors. And he tells the story to the religious people at the time. You, know, you need to understand, every single person, every person that is lost and lonely and hurting has so much value to me, so much value to my Father in heaven, that they actually become the priority of heaven. That I notice when they're missing. An all-out search is called for until they are found. And when they are found, they are welcomed with open arms and the whole community gathers together and celebrates And a number of times in Luke chapter 15, you know, Jesus says, you know, there is rejoicing in all of heaven. all of heaven stops and rejoices when one lost, lonely, hurting, suffering person is found and welcomed into my love. All of heaven stops and celebrates. That's how valuable one lost, lonely, hurting, suffering person is to me. Three stories to tell exactly the same thing. Whenever God, you know, says one thing three times, it's really, really important. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Jesus wants us to understand from these three parables the one lost, lonely, hurting person has great value to the kingdom of heaven. That's where... Our value as a church comes from the value of ones. It comes from that chapter, Luke chapter 15, and those three parables. And I I preached that message in every state and nearly every denomination in Australia. And so I'm going to preach it from a different parable today, from Luke chapter 10. It's the same principle. One lost, lonely, hurting, suffering person is, is valuable. Luke chapter 10, open up your Bible if you've got one, it's called the Parable of the Good Samaritan. It's probably Jesus' most well-known parable in our culture today. It's actually become part of our vocabulary. It says, Luke 10 verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question. But we should all ask that question. What's the life that I'm designed for? It's a really good question. But what we see in verse 25 there is that this expert in the law, this expert in religion is actually trying to test Jesus. He's thinking, if I know the law better than Jesus knows the law, then Jesus is a fraud and I'm going to call him out in this moment. He's trying to test Jesus. That's why he's asking the question. In, uh, in verse 26, Jesus kind of acts a little like a politician. He uh, doesn't answer the question, but he asks, answers the question by asking another question. He says, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And this is what he answered. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself Jesus says you've answered correctly do this and you will live this expert in the law answers this question in the exact same way that Jesus answers the question when he's asked the question when someone comes to Jesus and says "You know, what is the greatest commandment Jesus says have you ever noticed Jesus actually doesn't give him one he's asked what is the greatest commandment what is the one greatest commandment and Jesus says I can't give you one but I can give you two One's greater than the other, and one flows out of the other, but you can't separate them. You can't pull them apart. I can't give you just one commandment. I need to give you two. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the other's just like it. The other flows out of it. The other can't be disconnected from it. He says, the other is this, love your neighbour as yourself. When Jesus is asked the question, you know, he he, he says, you cannot say that you love God and not love people. And you cannot love people the same way that God loves you unless you know the love of God yourself. The one flows out of the other. That they cannot be separated uh, when Jesus asks this expert in the law, you know, what's written in the law, how, how do you read it? He, he answers in exactly the same way. And, and Jesus says, well done, top of the class, A plus, you're through to the next round. You, you've answered correctly. But then it says he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus... Who is my neighbour? Who is my neighbour? Have you ever wanted to justify yourself? You know, there's something that you know you should have done, but you haven't done it. And you want to justify yourself. You want to come up with an excuse why you haven't done it. You know, this starts at school. You know, if you're a teacher in the room, or if you're still a student in the room, and you're supposed to have done your homework, and you haven't done your homework... You know, there's been an excuse that's gone on through the generations. The dog ate my homework. Or my sister duct taped me to the bed and I couldn't do my homework. You know, when I was in year 11 and started to drive to school, we had to come up with an excuse of why we were late if we drove ourselves to school. And we used to come up with a different excuse, a different justification every morning. I'll never forget 9.17. One morning, Ann Dunn beat me by one minute. And she was in my roll call class and she said, uh, sorry, I- I'm late. My pet died. It's not that I'm sentimental or anything, but it takes a very long time to bury an elephant. You know, it that was, that was difficult to beat that excuse that's a good justification. These days, kids know nothing about excuses why they can't come to school. They only go to school every second day. You know, the government just looks out the window and sees a few clouds in the sky and calls school off. I prayed for that my whole schooling life. It never happened once. We had a bomb scare in year three and we got to go and play on the oval and play footy for half a day. And every time I wasn't ready for a test for the next nine years I prayed for another bomb scare. I got so desperate sometimes I thought about picking up the phone and threatening the principal myself. Never happened again. Never had another free day off school. These days kids have every second day off. You don't need any excuses to justify yourself. But this doesn't stop when we're at school. This continues as we get older. Just like this expert in the law, we come up with reasons to justify ourselves why we're not loving someone, why we're not loving towards our spouse, why we're not loving towards our neighbour, why we're not loving towards that person in the workplace that really annoys us. You know, I'm tired, I'm stressed. They're really annoying. They don't deserve it. We still, even as we become adults, we come up with reasons to justify ourselves for not living out what Jesus says are the greatest commandments. To love God and to love people. See, this is a really well-known and it's a much-loved parable, even by you know, our secular culture. They, they love Jesus' teaching about the Good Samaritan. But Jesus got in a lot of hot water for teaching this parable in the day because there was a debate raging on at the time amongst experts in the law, amongst rabbis, and everybody who's listening to this parable knows that this debate is raging on. You see, the expert in the law knows, you know, where this comes from, this idea of loving your neighbour. In Leviticus it says this, it says, Do not hate your brother in your heart. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. Now some rabbis says, my brother, people in my family, they're my neighbour, I've got to love them. And obviously our people, people like me, other Jews, they're my neighbour, I gotta love them. But the where the debate was was around whether we had to whether they had to love people who were different to them. You know, do, do we have to love people who have come from other nations and look and sound a little bit different to us, but have adopted our religion? And some rabbis said, yes, you must love them. And other rabbis said, no, you don't have to love them. They're out. They're excluded from this command. But nearly every rabbi agreed who you didn't have to love. You didn't have to love Gentiles. You didn't have to love heretics. You didn't have to love people who paid no attention to God's law. Actually, one, Gentile, one rabbi at the time said this, if a Gentile be in any danger of death, we're not bound to deliver them. Such a one is not your neighbour. And so the thinking of the time is some people are our neighbours and some are not. Some people need to be loved and some don't. Some people deserve mercy and some don't. And so it's in the midst of this debate that Jesus tells this parable that's become really popular. He says, there was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way he was attacked by robbers, they took his clothes, beat him up, and they went off leaving him half dead. Now you need to understand the road from Jericho to Jerusalem is about 25 kilometres long. It goes through a deep ravine. There's lots of uh, clefts and boulders in the rocks where where robbers could sit and ambush people who were walking through. It was a dangerous road to walk on. It was the kind of road that you wouldn't walk on on your own. If you walked along here on your own, you were bound to get into trouble and you were going to need somebody's help. And this is what's happened. This is the story that Jesus is helping. This guy is very clear in his story, can't help himself. They can picture where it is. They can can picture what's happening. They know very clearly somebody needs to help this person. And maybe you can picture times when you've been in a situation like this. I remember a very clear time when we as a family were in a situation like this. We were uh, forward driving up to Cape York, and we went through uh, that river. And uh, going through that river, it felt like fun at the time. But I actually pushed our uh, our, our fan into our radiator, put a big hole in our radiator. And after going through a bunch more rivers and uh, up and down out of creeks, crossings like that, I realised we had no water uh, left in our car, and it was overheating. And I'm standing on this little bush track, nobody else around, nobody to help us, you know, trying to get some water uh, into our car, trying to cool it down. One guy comes along on a motorbike, he says, I've got nothing to help you with, but I have heard that sometimes putting tea bags in the radiator or putting tea leaves in the radiator will actually clog up the hole and it'll get you to where you need to, uh, uh, to get to. I was so excited when I heard this, I got into our, our uh, trailer and I, I took. Out about uh, six dozen uh, Tetley tea bags. I tipped them uh, into our radiator. I thought the more, the merrier, and uh, we took off again. It seemed to work uh, for a little while. About an hour later, after doing a, probably another uh, bunch of creek crossings, and we're now on another bush track. The car overheated again and completely stopped. And yet this time, I walked around the back of our camper trailer and realised that when I got the tea bags out, I'd left the tailgate down. And everything we owned had slid out the back. Somewhere in the bush. We had no idea where. And so there were four kids on the side of the road all crying. One wife crying. One husband hiding behind a tree crying. (laughs) What are we going to do? We got no food. We got no clothes. Our car won't go. And along came some good Samaritans people we'd never met before, and they drove through the night, back through all of those creeks, found all of our stuff, there might be one more photo, and uh, delivered it back to us at midnight, found everything we owned. We were lost without them. We needed somebody to have mercy on us and help us. We had no way of getting out of that situation on our own. And you might actually be able to think of much more serious times where that's been true for you. Maybe you've lost a child or a loved one. You know, maybe your relationship has fallen apart. Maybe your business has gone under. Or maybe times you've had mental health or physical health challenges and you just couldn't cope on your own. And you actually needed somebody else to come alongside you and pick you up and just be with you, walk with you, care for you. You can think of moments where you go, I couldn't have done that alone. We've certainly had moments like that as a family. It's what the church is called to do. We're actually called to carry one another's burdens, to show mercy to one another in our time of need. You see, all of us have moments like this guy who's beaten up left half dead on the side of the road we desperately need mercy from someone who come along and help us and as jesus tells this story there's good news on the way listen to the next two words he says a priest if anyone's going to help him if anyone's going to have mercy on him it's going to be a priest a priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. That wasn't how the story was supposed to go. You've you got to understand, you know, this road from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's not like the gateway motorway. It's not eight lanes wide. You know, on the gateway, you know, you've got to swerve across four lanes to, to hit a, a cane toad or a cat, or, I mean a rat. <laughs> Anyone here love cats? Okay, definitely a rat. (laughs) You've got to swerve to hit something. you know, on, On the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, you had to swerve to avoid something. It's a skinny little road, and this is what the priest does. This is a brilliant story. You need to understand the brilliance of this story that Jesus is telling. The priest, as he comes to this man, he can't see whether he's alive or dead. And he can't see whether he's a Jew or a Gentile. It says he's been stripped of his clothes and it was clothing that, that would have actually identified whether he was a Jew or a Gentile. Couldn't see. And it says he's half dead. He's not sure whether he's dead or alive. Now you've got to understand for a priest, a priest very different to the role of a pastor today. A priest would have to be uh, ritually pure to actually go into the temple and, and to bring pure sacrifices to God. Now if the priest had touched a dead body... Or even if the priest had touched a Gentile, he'd have to go out of the camp, away from his job, you know, away from his home for seven days, out with the rest of the sinners. Very inconvenient and very embarrassing for a priest. You weren't allowed to touch a dead person, you weren't allowed to touch a Gentile, you couldn't do your job for seven days. And so the priest, not knowing whether he's a Jew or a Gentile, not knowing whether he's dead or alive, saw the need but moved away from the need. And the next person in the story, and again they're thinking, oh, maybe this is the guy that's actually, you know, that's going to help us. It's a Levite. They're the guys that helped the priests. But, But same deal. If they touched a Gentile or if they touched a dead person, Seven days out of the camp, and just to come back into the camp, you had to sacrifice a perfect red heifer. I looked up on Gumtree this week. Red heifers go for about $1,300. This this costs time, and it costs money to help this man who's laying on the side of the road. Priest sees the need, avoids the need, walks on past. The Levite sees the need, avoids the need, walks on past. And this story, it follows, it follows the story of three. We still tell jokes like this today. The first person you know, did this, the priest did this, the Levite did this, and it was, it was the same. And everyone who's listening is thinking, it's not the religious elite that's going to be the hero, it's the common man. It's the common Israeli, it's the common Jew, it's one of our fellow brothers, he's going to be the hero of the story. But then the next couple of words that come out of Jesus' mouth shocks them to the core. And this is what got Jesus in a lot of trouble. It says, a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was and he saw him, he took pity on him, He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This was not what they were expecting. This guy has become known as the Good Samaritan. There was no such thing. In this culture of the day they hated Samaritans Samaritans were their enemies Samaritans were dirty Samaritans were heretics one rabbi said the Israelite who eats the bread of the Samaritans that sits on the table of a Samaritan or consumes food that comes from the Samaritans is like him who eats the flesh of swine that's not good if you're a good Jewish boy you weren't allowed to have a bacon sandwich this was not good They thought it was an insult with God to spend time with Samaritans. They thought that God had no love in his heart for Samaritans. Samaritans could not know the favour of God. They could not be good. And here is the hero of the story. And Jesus says, you know, which of these three was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? This hurt story hurts so much, the expert in the law can't even say his name, can't even say his race. He says, I guess the one who showed mercy to the one in need. You see, the expert in the law wanted neighbor defined so he could justify himself for not loving people that weren't like him. He wanted to love people that were like him. He wanted to love people that looked like him. He wanted to love people that sounded like him. He wanted to love people that liked him. He didn't want to love people that didn't like him. He didn't want to love people that didn't look like him. He didn't want to love people that didn't sound like him. He didn't want to love people that didn't share his values, that didn't share his ideas. He wanted to justify who he could love and who he could leave out of the story. And Jesus tells this story to help everybody understand for the next 2,000 years there is no excuse to lack compassion for those who are different to you. There's no excuse to lack compassion for those that are hurting and suffering. There's no excuse to lack compassion For those who don't like you, everyone, every single one has value to God. Everyone in need is valuable to God. And Jesus doesn't just define who we should love. He defines how to love. He actually says, go and do likewise. Go and do the same thing. Have you ever noticed it's actually inconvenient to love people in need? We've always got an excuse. You know, it's inconvenient preaching on this passage, I can tell you. I drive out of my driveway the other morning and my neighbour has uh, let their bin overflow onto the road and the crows are into it and I'm running late for work. And I'm thinking, that's their problem. I wasn't stupid enough to let my bin overflow. Not my problem, I don't have to fix it. And I knew I was preaching on this passage. (laughs) It was really annoying. I had to get out of my car, pick up their rubbish, and serve their need. It's inconvenient. This week has been inconvenient to care for people in need across our city and throughout northern New South Wales. We gave out nearly all of our food a week ago, that we had in our care centres. Well, I'm really, really grateful for everyone on every campus gave nearly 800 bags and boxes of food in a 24 hour period so we continue to care for people in need. Can I just say a big thank you? I'm going to say thank you to God for his uh, generosity. But it's inconvenient. You know, I, This story, it, it says when you see the need, Don't avoid the need, but move towards the need to serve the need. I was running along the beach uh, the other day and I saw a guy uh, in the the distance who was struggling in through the waves with his uh, kite surfer board but I could see he'd had an accident out at sea and his kite was actually drifting down the beach about 800 metres down the beach and uh, as I'm running towards him he starts running towards me to go and uh, get his uh, kite I think something doesn't look right As he's running towards me, he looks like he's wearing a skirt, but I could tell it was a guy. And uh, when he he got towards me, I realised when he'd lost his kite out at sea, he'd also lost his shorts. And he just had his wetsuit shirt tied as best he could around his waist, which covered some bits but not all bits. I saw the need. Pants. Pants. I really wanted to avoid the need. But once again, this parable was in my hand. And so I ran to where I was staying. I found a pair of shorts and I ran all the way back down the beach. And I said, mate, do you want these? He was so excited. He went to hug me. I said, mate, don't come that close. (laughs) I'll see the need. I can serve the need. But I'm a Baptist pastor. I don't want to be seen hugging you on the beach. You just put some pants on and get on with your day. This is the principle Jesus is teaching in this story. When you see the need, move towards the need to serve the need. It's why Jesus says these commandments can't be pulled apart. The closer you get to God, the closer you get to people in need to serve their needs. It's also why I'm really excited about our new Neighbours Ministry we're starting. And this is a ministry that's going to uh, go across every campus here at Gateway. You know, in every campus we've got a care centre and we love people coming in and, uh, and finding uh, help in their time of need. And we kind of want to expand that. We actually want to take our care centre on wheels out into communities where people need it. And so right now, uh, you know, there's tens of thousands of people every year seeking asylum in Australia from other nations that are in desperate need. As the borders open back up, we're going to have tens of thousands of new migrants from, from other nations coming and, and settling in, in, in Brisbane and finding a new home. And as a church, we feel compelled to be good neighbours. We actually want to be a church that sees the need, moves towards the need, gets out of our four walls, gets close to the need and serves the need. We've been given a grant to, uh, to buy a van which will take clothes and food and schooling equipment and whatever need is out there out into communities to serve the need. But most importantly, to build relationships of love with people and trust with people and say, you are welcome here. You matter to us. You're valuable to God and you're valuable to us as a church and we'd love to serve your needs in any way we can. And uh, Eleanor and Sarah are going to be leading this ministry. Can you guys just stand up just for a second? Give us all a big uh, wave. And... uh, They're going to be up the back corner where Ross and Kathy are sitting right now uh, at the end of the service and they just love to help you understand a little bit more of what Neighbours is all about. We want to live out this parable to love our neighbours the way that God loves us. Neighbours that are coming from all parts of the world. So go and have a chat to them at the end of the service and just hear about uh, what will be involved. As I finish, I just wanna get really practical. The last thing I want is to make people feel guilty and run around trying to be everything to everyone. This is what I just want you to remember. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. You see, if we all just did for one what we wish we could do for everyone, this community would be transformed. Just do for one what you wish could do for everyone. Go deep, not wide. Samaritan goes the extra mile, pays for his room, comes back, says, "If you don't have enough, I'll pay you the rest of what you need." Significant investment of time and money. You can't do that for everyone, but you can do it for someone. You see, there's a neighbour in your street. God's placed you there. Just look around and go, who, "Who can I? Who's the one that I can bless? That I can serve?" There's a neighbour in your seat. You, you can't even serve everybody's needs in this room. That's why we get together in life groups and care for one another. Go deep, not wide. Don't think you've got to be everything for everyone. But do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Go time, not just money. It's easy to justify ourselves by saying, hey, I'm not going to get involved in people's mess, but I will give money to let other people do it. And can I just say again a huge thank you for your generosity in this last week to, to, to bless so many in northern New South Wales and, and throughout southeast Queensland with food and, and practical goods. But don't get to the end of the year and say, I'm not sure I really had an impact in anybody's life, but I love supporting those that did. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Go, go time, not just money. And lastly... Go long-term, not short-term. The Samaritan looks after him until he's well. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, it's not a five-minute fix. And you know yourself and looking at people around you, you can spend your whole life, you can spend years wrecking your life. It doesn't get healed in an instant. It takes time. The healing journey takes time. Go long-term with people, not just short-term. Probably no one here in this room would know because it's a long time ago that when I started in ministry in uh, the western suburbs of Sydney, I was a 19 uh, year old kid who just you know, caught a passion for reaching out to the ones. I just, uh, I just wanted to see Jesus change people's lives. And I had a, a pastor at the time named Bruce who ran a drop in centre for homeless kids, and I just helped him. I just walked alongside him, learnt from him, watched him, and uh, just helped him uh, reach out to these uh, kids in need in the community. It was a very long time ago, it was uh, 30 years ago. I, I got a letter uh, just uh, around Christmas time, and it says, oh, Let me just read some bits of it. It says, Jason, firstly, let me please apologise for the paper I'm writing on. I can't afford a writing pad until next week but felt compelled to write to you. I'd like to thank you for opening my eyes to Jesus. I found your book, Jesus the Bloke, in the library here at the Townsville Women's Correctional Center. And I found great connection to it, even showing it to a few chaplains that visit here and to other prisoners. Now, firstly, I wrote a book about Jesus for blokes. I got no idea how it got into the hands of a women's uh, correctional centre. Someone found it. She says, I'm also from the western suburbs of Sydney, born and raised in Parramatta. Like some of the girls you mentioned in your story, I too was sold into the sex industry at a young age. I was 12, I went cold turkey from heroin at 15, thanks to a great mother and family GP, but mostly thanks to a rush that I found that I got from prayer. I met my daughter's father at a church in Tilopia we would attend for the pastor's wife to feed us, teens that had no homes, and hear relatable stories about Jesus. They were cool the way that you too sound to be. I don't get called cool very often. It's always nice to get a letter like that. She had no idea I was there. 30 years ago, that was the church I was just helping Bruce serving, reaching out to kids like her. She had no idea from my book that that's where I was. But she was there, broken young girl, desperate need of Jesus. She says religious history is one of my favorite subjects, but I've done so many things that would not be sit favorably with Jesus or God, I fear. I'm just not good enough, although I'm always kind, helpful, polite, encouraging and charitable, even giving up half my Christmas day to feed the homeless. But even with those qualities, I still find myself a drug user, making poor choices and allowing myself to be susceptible to violent men. I'm 44 now and it's my first time in jail. I try to improve my life and even when successful somewhat, I inevitably fail. Your book is giving me hope. Sorry for the tears on the page. Do you think Jesus would really love someone like me? Do you think there really could be a thing that I'm meant to do? Will I ever have real self-confidence? How could anyone truly love or value me if a mere human couldn't? Why would God or Jesus? I see you right that he loves everyone and although I've never taken a life, I've done some really crappy things and I've sold myself for sex repeatedly. How can I possibly forgive him? And if I did find a way to be forgiven, what about when I screw up again? There can't be countless chances. I don't deserve them. Thank you for reading my letter. Please pray for me to get home to my family. Do you really think that Jesus could love someone like her? I'm going to ask it again, and the second time, I want a more confident response. Do you really think Jesus could love someone like her? Yes! It's because He's not just human. He's the perfect human. It's because He's fully God and the heart of God is for every one lost person that is hurt, alone and suffering, that He will love her. He's loved her for 30 years. His hand has been on her life since she was a young 14-year-old kid. I was there. I remember her. I remember how broken she was and she's been on this awful journey but God has not let go of her. The hand of God is still on her and he will not let her go. That is what our God is like. He doesn't give up on people. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Sometimes healing takes time. Go long term, not short term. Maybe there's someone God's put on your heart. And you've been reaching out to them and loving them and praying for them, caring for them for a long time. Don't give up. I'm grateful Jesus didn't go above me. I'm grateful Jesus went to the cross for me. When I kept sinning, I kept messing up. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Why do we stand together? God, your love, your love is hard to fathom. I agree with the lady in this letter. It's hard to believe that you could love like that. We don't deserve it. (laughs) And yet you love us anyway. And God, we're so grateful today. We're so grateful. God, would you fill our hearts with your love today. God, fill our hearts with your love for us. And God, I pray that you would fill us to overflowing, that we would love others in need around us. And God, you would give us eyes to see the ones that you're calling us to love and to see transformed by your loving power.